In this episode, my good friend Greg talks to US media personality Carl Schmidt about coming out to the world as HIV positive, how this affected his life, his career, his relationships, and his view of the future. Check it out. LGBTIQ health, lifestyle, and community news. Check it out. Is brought to you by the AIDS Action Council. From Canberra. For everyone. Today, I'm here talking with Carl Schmidt, who is a TV presenter and producer working in the United States on ABC Network. You might know him from The Red Carpet or Operation Vacation, a number of other programs that he works with. And the reason that we're here today is that uh, a bit over a year ago, Carl came out publicly about his HIV status. And as he says a number of times, uh, that he's become a bit of an accidental advocate for positive people and campaigning to undo some of the stigma that positive people experience in their lives. Um, So I want to welcome Carl here today. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me in your shiny, luxurious (laughs) podcast studio. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So we have a little bit of time to talk about um, what this experience has been like. There's a lot of um, uh, uh, stuff online already about um, uh, that experience of deciding to tell your story. Mm -hmm. You added a, a post to... Uh, a thing called the AIDS Memorial. The AIDS Memorial, that's right. Yeah, it's a, it's an Instagram feed. Uh, and if you don't follow it, I highly recommend you do if you are on Instagram. It's a wonderful, wonderful feed. Uh, and what it does is it's there to celebrate and remember. And the hashtag is what is remembered lives. So it's a place for people to post pictures and memories of people that we've lost over the yeah. years to HIV and AIDS. Um, so I had been following the AIDS Memorial for quite some time. And through them, you can purchase, you know, T-shirts and things like that. Money goes to housing charities and different charity groups that take care of HIV people. Um, So I'd had this T-shirt for a while, but I'd never worn it. uh, And I was uh, was coming home from work one afternoon on a Friday, going to meet some friends for a drink afterwards, happy hour on a Friday afternoon. And I got home from work and I took my work clothes off and I thought, I'll just throw this t-shirt on. I threw that t-shirt on, went and met some friends, had a couple of drinks. And I said to one of my friends, oh, can you do me a favor? Can you take a picture of me in this t-shirt? Because at some point I need to post something. Um, I don't have a story of a loved one or, or someone close to me who'd passed away from HIV. So the alternate is you post a picture of yourself wearing the AIDS Memorial t-shirt and you right. share something. Yeah. So I was like, just t- get the picture because I, I need, I, I, I'm never wearing this T-shirt. I'm wearing it. Get the picture. I'll do something. Uh, and that was that. I, I then went home that evening and uh, I have to admit, I'd had a couple of martinis. <laughs> I may have even taken a nibble out of it, half a Valium just to take the edge off the day and, <laughs> and, and settle myself into bed for sleep. And I looked at the picture and I sort of, I just let my fingers do the talking, as the old saying goes. And I shared my story, and that is that I'd been HIV positive at that point for almost 10 years. And it just all came out. Uh, I sent it off to the guy, uh, emailed it to the guy at the AIDS Memorial. And then I thought, well, I've done that. I might as well stick it on Facebook. And I did that. And, And that was it. I closed my laptop, went to bed, and really thought nothing of it. I really didn't think for a second 
I thought, you know, a couple of people I work with might notice it, but that was it. Uh, little did I know that within 24 hours it had become somewhat of an international news story um, and had been picked up by Hollywood Reporter, Variety, which are the two biggest industry trades in the States. But on top of that, Entertainment Tonight had picked it up. People Magazine had picked it up. <laughs> Daily Mail had picked it up. Sydney yeah. Morning Herald had picked it up. And I thought, oh, my gosh. I, I was just shocked. I thought, who gives a stuff about me? Um, but I had no clue that by doing what I did, it would be such a revelation. And and one of my fantastic bosses at ABC Television, who I work for in the States, said to me in, in the following days, I'm just shocked that in this was last year in 2018, this is a news story. I don't see it as a news story. And I said, I agree, but somehow or another it is. And, and that says something. Um, here we are 18 months later, and it's still somewhat of a new story. Yeah. And so that speaks to how far we still have to travel um, when it comes to stigma and the perception of what it means to be HIV positive in this day and age. Um, and, and within that, and sort of having that realization within the few days following the post, I, I, a fire was ignited in me. And mm. I suddenly got quite mad about it. I was mm. quite angry. Not the, the reaction was positive, but I was just angry that this was making such noise. Mm. And it told me, as I just said, that we still have a long way to go when it comes to what the general perception of someone living. It shocked people that here's this guy who's on ABC television in the United States every now and then, who, who stands on red carpets at the Academy Awards and other things. They were all like, oh, my God, he has it? But... But he doesn't look like he should have it. Yeah. And so it just, it's sort of all these issues came to the front. And, uh, you know, it ignited, as I said, it ignited something in me. And I'm glad it did because nobody, nobody anywhere should live in the shadows in this day and age mm. because of an HIV positive diagnosis. Nobody. And yet, many, 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 many people do. Yeah, I, I totally get your message. And it's very interesting because you've not come from, uh, I guess, a political point of view or a public health uh, campaign point of view, but really just from your own personal journey. I was really struck by something that you said in, in that original post that you put in there. Here's what I say, stand tall and stand proud. You can't make everybody happy, but you can make you happy. And so long as you tell the truth, you will never have to remember anything. Labels are things that come and go, but your dignity and who you are is what defines you. I think there's something about being so self-determined that strikes a chord with people. Someone saying, no, I'm okay with who I am. Well, look, I mean, I think everyone is a work in progress from, from the day we arrive on the planet to the day we, we, we're taken out. Um, and, and I... I'm far from perfect. Something that has made me quite un quite uncomfortable mm -hmm. over the last eighteen months is when people say, "Oh my gosh, you're such a, you know, you're such an inspiration and you're such a role model," and that's very flattering. Don't mm -hmm. take me wrong. 
But I say, no, 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 please don't put me on that pedestal because I am just as human as the next person. I have made my fair share of stupid mistakes. Mm-hmm. I've done my fair share of dumb things, um, embarrassing things. And no doubt I will continue to do that just like every other human being. And we live, especially where I live in the States and with what I do in the industry I work in, we love this culture to build people up, build people up, put them on those platforms. And then we love it when they stumble mm-hmm. and they trip up. And then we attack and we attack and we attack and we tear them down. And you know, destroy people. And and so I, I, I'm uncomfortable when anyone says, you know, oh, you're, you know, you're such this, you're such that. Um, I just say, look, I, luckily, and who knows why it happened, the planets aligned that day and I shared what I shared. Um, but I told my truth mm-hmm. uh, in regards to that part of my yes. life. And I think, you know, anyone who, who, um, has held on to a secret, whether it be their sexuality or their gender identity or whatever in this in this world we live in, the moment they get to reveal that or let it go, um, come out of that closet, whatever the closet may be, we all sense, we all know what that sense of sort of oh, you exhale yeah. and the freedom of that feels. So, uh, and then I think anything like that, it sort of, it, it encourages you. You go, oh, Oh, thank God I've let that go. Right. What am I going to do? And and you do sort of stand a little taller. Mm. It may not be forever. Something else comes along down the line and knocks you over, but you inevitably get up and you dust yourself off. That's what being human is about. I think that's what life's journey is about. Um, you need to fall down. You need to screw up. You need to make mistakes. Otherwise, you don't learn. Mm-hmm. And I think the most dangerous people out there are the ones who are never wrong and who, th- who think they don't make mistakes. Just look at the current man who's occupying the White House in the States. <laughs> no, thanks. We're not, get, we're not going political. <laughs> Check it out. I brought that up, this thing, this sense of um, the self-determination uh, to make a statement like that, but also to the, the tone of what you've said in your, in your um, post about, about just being proud of yourself, acknowledging all of who you are, and, uh, and knowing that that's not what defines you. Um, I'm very privileged in the role that I do here at the council, that I often meet people right at the moment that they have been diagnosed with mm-hmm. HIV and of course whatever fears they've had or whatever uh, worries they have about their future and those things all come to the surface and the simple act of standing or sitting with somebody and saying hey I'm an HIV positive person too mm-hmm. I've been living a healthy and happy life for the last 19 years with this and your future is going to be fine yeah, you just see their body change, their shoulders drop. They go, oh, oh, and that's because we have this outdated, archaic uh, opinion of what it means to be HIV positive uh, mm-hmm. in this day and age. We did such a good job in 1987 of scaring the bejesus out of everyone with that fantastic Grim Reaper commercial, and I do call it fantastic because it worked. It and was it, amazing. It, 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 it did amazing damage, but it, it at a time when no one knew what was going on, 
um, we had to do something. And, and Simon, spelt with two eyes, Reynolds, created a masterpiece in an, in an advertising campaign that still to this day, if you say HIV in Australia or the UK, people go, oh, the Grim Reaper ad. We all know it. We all know it. The problem is we haven't had a campaign of that magnitude since, which debunks what that campaign, you know, the the whole point of that, and Simon will say it and has Mm. done, was put the fear of God in people. Mm. And it did. Unfortunately, there hasn't been a campaign since that has taken the fear of God out of people. And Mm. while I'm here in Australia, I'm urging, urging people in the federal government and and various uh, organizations to come back together and go, okay, time is now. Now we have the U equals U, undetectable equals untransmittable messaging out there. Now is the time. With that simple, that U equals U, the most cost-effective public health service announcement you can put out there, and the simplest, most digestible truth. Look, at the end of the day, I'm just a person living with HIV. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist. When I go to my doctor and he starts rattling off numbers and this and that and just... I zone out. I don't. I. I shouldn't. Mm. I should pay more attention. I know that. But here's what I want to know: Am I healthy? Am I undetectable? Am I okay? And is there anything new I should be aware of? That's it. Then there's my 15 minutes. I'm out the door. And it needs to really be that simple. Uh, and then I think you sort of get people's attention. So we need a, a, a new. I've, I've taken you off track there, but we do need. Um, it's time. No, I think it's time. I think you're right. And this message of uh, undetectable, I mean, uh, I guess because I've been working in the field and I've taken an interest in all of that, um, I've been it's been on my radar since the first stuff get it started getting published about it about 2008. Well, well but I, they've known pretty much about this since 2000 hmm. thereabouts. Now, I did not know about U equals U hmm. until last March when I disclosed my status. So I'd been living with HIV for almost 10 years at that point. Actually, more than 10 years, sorry. And it wasn't until Bruce Richmond, who's the guy who started the U equals U messaging with Prevention Access, uh, he messaged me on Twitter and he said, I saw what you didn't, you know, um, I'd love to chat to you. And I said, sure. And he said, well, you know, I'm with U equals U and and I said, I don't, I've never heard of that before. Which inflamed him he's a very passionate man and he became really cross and and then i became cross Mm. i thought why the hell has no one told me this and it comes down to you know i get it science and medicine and doctors don't want to give false hope and things like that but the reality is the science has pretty much been there since 2000 or the early 2000s and if my doctor had have said to me on October 3rd of 2007, when I was diagnosed on a wintry day in London, listen, I mean, he did say, look, people live for perfectly long and healthy expectancy. In some cases, life expectancy is even longer because you're going to the doctor and they're catching it. But if he had have said, and there is this or these studies that are going on that, while not completely proven, really are pointing towards this idea that if you get your viral load to an undetectable level, you are not a risk. My God, what a difference that would have made to me. What would it have done? Well, it it would have taken away that I'm dangerous. Yeah. And I think that's what most people, even today, I get 
I've got messages this morning via Instagram and direct message from people, uh, a guy in Lebanon, um, people in Iran, Pakistan, South America, and they're all saying, I'm scared. I'm scared of what the result's going to be. No one will love me. My life is over. And with U equals U, that just that scrubs all of that out. There is zero risk. I cannot infect you. We can have sex... It would have to be some out absurd number. I can't remember what it is. Somebody did the math, and it was like up there in the almost 100,000 sex acts for me to potentially infect you. I said, good God, I can barely last once. Who could go that many times? <laughs> so having been given that, even if, even if at the time it, just, it was still a glimmer, mm. what a difference that would have made to the level of internalized stigma that I, to this day, am working through. And, you know, I'm one of many around the world who get that, got that diagnosis. We all believed, well, that's it. That's it. And who, who other than another HIV-positive person, is going to want to love me and understand? Maybe there'll be someone out there. But, but then do I want to put them at that? Do I want to live as the person who could potentially infect somebody who I love. I didn't want to have that burden on me. No. So you just shut down. Or you go to the other end of the spectrum, which, you know, I certainly had my moments, so I go back to don't put me on a pedestal, where you go out and you sort of, you know, overindulge in certain things in life and you put yourself in situations where, you know, the risk of not only sort of transmission of HIV, but other STIs and things is right up there. Um, because you just kind of go, I can't, I, I ugh. You know, at that point, you're in your late 20s, early 30s. Hello. Um, So this U equals U is a game changer. And and I say this to anyone who is contemplating getting tested because they've got that feeling in the pit of their stomach. This is, I I describe it as keys to the handcuffs. Hmm. When I found out about U equals U, suddenly those handcuffs that I felt had been shackled on me and quite angry at myself because I should have known better. And there should have been all of that, all of that stuff that we all go through. Uh, suddenly, the handcuffs came off, and I realized that I can allow myself to be loved by somebody. I can allow myself to have a healthy and enjoyable sex life. And not live in fear that I'm going to infect somebody or that somebody else is, you know, that that, that doesn't need to exist anymore. Boy, what a pressure is. It, it, for heterosexual couples, they can conceive and have children. The science in this part of the world isn't there yet to talk about the breastfeeding side of things. But in Switzerland, they're saying you can breastfeed. The Swiss were also amongst some of the first who said who who really pushed the U equals U messaging. So I have a feeling that give it a few more years, we're suddenly going to hear, oh yeah, no, mothers can breastfeed. So uh, it, this is such a game changer, and we've known about it for nearly twenty years. Check it out. I remember really distinctly. So um, I I had a. Uh, an HIV specialist doctor as my GP when I was first diagnosed, and she was a pretty uh, formidable advocate for getting on medication before everybody else was saying you should. Mm-hmm. So she was like, well, you She really was of the American thought. Get on the medication yeah. straight away if you can, um, uh, even though the medical guidelines in Australia in the early 2000s were not saying that. 
um, you, you had to sort of get to a certain point. That was the same with indicators. me. I was diagnosed in the UK. Mm. But I moved to the US a year after that, and mm. they the doctors there were shocked. And one actually was quite nasty to me and then called me out in front of other patients and told me that I was an extremely irresponsible human being. It was one of the most awful moments I've had with a quote-unquote caregiver. Yeah. <laughs> but at the time, I was seeing my UK doctor. I was still traveling yeah. back and forth to the U- uh, UK every three months. And I said, with all due respect, I understand your position. However, hmm. I've been in care for nearly two years in the UK. These are the guidelines. That's what I'm sticking to. Of course, that's all changed now. Yeah. So, of course, now the guidelines, everybody's recommending that as soon as you have a diagnosis, get onto medication as soon as possible. Get yourself to an undetectable viral load as soon as possible because the ongoing health effects for you in later life as well as immediately are that you will have you know lesser impact on your immune system, all of that. As well as then, of course, the the possibility of transmission is is um, is completely eradicated. Now that was a message that, in the early two thousands, my doctor was very proactive about getting me on there because of the health effects, and she could mm-hmm. see that was being telecast um, by all of the research at the time. But she was very reluctant to put her voice to the um, untransmissible side of that mm-hmm. because the evidence hadn't really been um, fulfilled. But it was a bit more of a nudge, nudge, wink, wink kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. like, here's the papers that have been published so far. Right. I just sort of pushed them across the desk. But I'm not telling you that that's okay yet. And how did that and make that you t- feel it, well, a- it as someone me, living with HIV? It made me feel better. Right. It definitely did. And I certainly, earlier than many other um, gay guys in, in Australia, I came to the conclusion that... I wasn't going to hurt anybody. Right. It took a while, though, before the kind of mental understanding of that and the emotional acceptance of that came mm. about. And I think I'm still working on the emotional acceptance. I, we of all that. are. I, yeah. That goes back to that sort of internalized stigma that mm. I didn't really even realize I had mm. uh, until 18 months ago when this all came out and I started sort of living my HIV positive life loud and proud everywhere. Um, you know, I up until that point, I'd make jokes. Well, you know what, man, I'm damaged goods. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've got AIDS. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. these silly sort of, and they were said in a very silly throwaway. I was being a smart ass, kind of cracking jokes. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that a little file somewhere inside my brain was chipping away and actually somehow believing that and convincing myself that. Um, and, and, you know, we do talk about the stigma a lot, but I think internalized stigma and then couple that with PTSD for, for older folks yeah. who really lived through the worst of it. Mm. Um, we've we've all, we've got to really look at that. And, 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 you know, that plays into the whole mental health thing of addressing this, especially as we age now and HIV is getting older Um in in societies around the world it's something i think we need to pay particular attention to yeah yeah for sure um i'm really interested to know what that early time was like for you um i'm i was very fortunate when i was diagnosed that sydney born and bred gay man living in the ghetto uh i had a whole bunch of of positive and negative gay friends who were all okay with HIV uh, uh, 
I had the example of my housemate and best friend who had been living with HIV for five years already by that stage. And so when I came home and talked to him about it, it was a very supportive and very, um, I guess, a, a smooth transition for me in many ways. Mm. It still had its emotional knocks and everything. but I pro- It probably still does. That, of course it does, yeah. yeah. But but I, it really made a big difference for me and I realised how fortunate I was to have such a support around me. Was that there for you? Yeah, I mean, I was diagnosed, as I said earlier, in London and I'd grown up in and around the entertainment industry since a very young age, since about seven. So um, while I haven't known anyone to pass away, certainly knew people within growing up in the industry um, who were HIV positive and who were carrying on. This was this was before the antiretrovirals, you know. Yeah. And, and so my close friends and my colleagues at the time in the UK were great, and, and as was my family. I, I'm a very very lucky person to have a, a parents who are still married. Uh, 50 years this year and two older brothers <laughs> well done to them <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that looks no. like <laughs> <laughs> the last of the dying breed um, and two older brothers and just a very supportive family yeah. so I was very lucky it wasn't really until I moved to Los Angeles uh, which was the end of 2008 and settled in West Hollywood which if anyone has been out to LA and is gay, they know that WeHo is our Darlinghurst or our sort of Paran, I guess, for Melbourne, Um, the gay ghetto. It wasn't until I moved there that I really, you know, new city, making new friends, uh, that I really sort of felt the isolating effects of it. And then, and continues to shock me, is the stigma from within the uh, gay community, the guys, because mm. the lesbians have always been extremely supportive. Right. And, you know, going way back to when the epidemic it was at its worst, it was often the lesbians that were there holding our hands and looking after yeah. us um, as everyone else fled. So kudos to our friends, the lesbians. But the gays, and, and, and in this day and age in West Hollywood, I was shocked at the level of stigma and I you know again I wasn't publicly out my very close friends knew and anyone I got close to knew about my HIV but trying to meet people was an absolute nightmare I was damned if I did and damned if I didn't I'd meet someone we'd go on a date we'd have a nice time let's go on a second date second date would go well maybe a little bit of a cheeky kiss a little bit of that let's have a third date third date things heat up and get a little sexy and steamy and maybe it's heading in that direction. So you do the right thing. Look, there's something I have to tell you. I'm HIV positive. Well, goodness, I've been spat at. I've had drinks thrown in my face. I've been told I deserved it. I had one uh, of them, Jesus. one of them which makes me laugh now, and we've actually become very good friends. One person burst into tears and said, this isn't fair. Why does it always happen to me? And I said, what? And and I and now at every opportunity I tell that story just to shame him. Um, but we're, we're 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 actually very good mates. We're really good mates, and and I still bring it up in front of him all the time. But go on, have another cry, poor you. Um, so so that would happen. Mm. So then you go to the absolute other extreme. You meet for that glass of wine or a cup of coffee, um, and it's a first date, and you don't know where it's going to go. And you disclose, you put something out there very publicly with a complete stranger. And they look at you like you're crazy. 
Do you think I'm going to sleep with you? Um, or why are you telling me this? So I retreated. I just mm. stopped. I didn't date for the better part of 10 years. I just I just went in, not into hiding. I just went, I just can't, I can't be bothered. The anxiety. So much hard work. Yeah, and I was chatting with someone about this last night. The anxiety of disclosing your HIV status was far worse than coming out. It was like coming out of the closet to your family every single time. Of course, now we live in a day and age where it's like, why do I have to disclose my status? Mm. You know, it takes two to tango. And it, it does astound me, really, um, when when people get all their knickers in a twist. Well, you should have said something. Well, you should have asked. I mean, I know that I cannot and do not present a risk sexually to you. Mm. And Sure, but I don't know you. We, we meet up and we hook up or whatever. Uh, are you telling everyone your medical history? Another story, sort of more recently, as recent as a year ago, I'd been chatting to somebody on Tinder and uh, we progressed to that very old-fashioned way of communicating, talking on the phone. No. Yeah, I can't know. Actual t- words came out of our mouths and we listened to each other. And it was we were having a great conversation, chatting for about 45 minutes on the phone. And I said, look, I should, you know, I just want to tell you I'm HIV positive. And he goes, no, oh, not a problem. And I said, U equals you. He goes, yeah, no, no, I've heard about U equals you, and I'm on prep. And he goes, not a problem, but th- I really appreciate you being honest. Thanks for being upfront about it. And I said, no, you're welcome. And he goes, but I just want to say, if we do sort of end up hooking up, I would like to see a copy of your last lab results just to prove that you're undetectable. And I went very quiet on the phone. And he said, are you there? And I said, yeah, I should, I, th- I, I, I got to go. And I hung up the phone and he texted. He said, what, what did I do? What did I say? Did I say something wrong? And I said, are you serious? And he said, I don't get it. I said, well, just play back the conversation in your head. You asked me to prove to you that I was undetectable. He goes, well, what's wrong with that? I don't know you. You, you could be making all of this up. And I said, well, I would have thought the fact that I disclosed my HIV status to you it would be enough in itself to give you an idea of the, the type of character I have. <laughs> and he's on prep. And you're on prep. I said, so again, there is zero risk. He goes, but I don't know you're undetectable. I said, no, but you know I'm HIV positive. Now, if I was the kind of sick person who wanted to go around and infect people, and unfortunately there are people out there who do this, very few, then A, I wouldn't have disclosed my status, and B, I wouldn't be on treatment. Mm. But I'm on treatment. Those pills keep me alive. Mm. Why would I lie about it? And and he said, look, I think you're taking this, getting upset. I'm nothing. I said, I haven't asked to see your sexual health records. How do I know that you uh, don't have syphilis? He goes, well, I don't. I said... Well, what? How would you have you felt if I'd asked you to present that? He goes, well, if you really want to see them. So I, uh, I left, I let it go. And the next day, being a little bit of a prick that I am, I sent him my full last set of labs. And I said, take a look. Feel, feel good about yourself now. And he responded um, very apologetically. Yeah. And he said, my God. I was a complete dick. That was a real... And I and I said, well, thank you for acknowledging that. I said, we don't ask diabetics to show their blood, you know, glucose levels. Um, we don't even ask people with hepatitis C 
to, to present things. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's HIV, this big bad wolf, A, it's on me to disclose, and B, I have to somehow prove to you I don't think that's fair. We're all adults, most of us, um, if we're participating in sexual activity. And again, it takes two to tango most of the time. Mm. Um, and so the onus is on, on everybody. But this, it, it all swings back to the fear and the stigma. Check it out. In the time that you've been becoming such a voice and an advocate recently, you must have met some pretty amazing people from the front lines of the, HIV and, and activism. There's, um, a, there's a great man in Sydney who I will see later this afternoon when I get back up there, David Polson. Yeah. Um, and I think anyone in the HIV community in around New South Wales or even down here in Canberra has probably come across old Polly as mm-hmm. he goes by. And this is a man who absolutely um, put his body through hell and back so that people like me can swallow one pill a day and say I'd rather swallow a pill a day than prick my finger. I was very fortunate and uh, to meet last year in Amsterdam and become friends with Timothy Ray Brown, mm-hmm. who's the first guy who was cured yes. of HIV. And that man, I mean, he's phenomenal, but his body is ravaged and wrecked. You bet. I mean, you know, he's a wonderful, wonderful man, but... He he has he's he may no longer have HIV, but my God, there the rest of it, you just you go. What was worse, you know? Yeah. yeah. So and then now I've met people like Peter Staley, who was one of the founders of ACT UP with Larry Kramer in the states, um, and Peter's just a fantastic man who is is passionate and fiery, um, but also extremely compassionate and caring. Uh, And then all the way to people like Bruce Richmond, who, as I mentioned earlier, uh, with Prevention Access, who is the man we have to thank for U equals U and has really sacrificed any kind of personal life um, and taken his mission around the world um, and continues to. I don't know how he does it. But just, uh, you know, the the drive that this man has, people like Nick Hollis here in Australia. Yeah, you know, um, fan- the Institute of Many. Yeah, the fan- exactly. Fantastic people who are really, they, they are the true activists. I am, as I said, I was, it was not, I didn't come up with it. A magazine called me the accidental activist. And I... I'm, I, I'm by no means anywhere close to what these people do. Look, I have a platform. I'm lucky to be able to stand on television um, and now say, you know, in front of large audiences, yeah, I'm HIV positive. This is what it looks like. But I'm not out there on the front lines like these people are um, who are really day and night fighting it out. Absolutely. And, I mean, we are living in a different era for us lucky gay white middle-class men in the Western world. Um, It's a different world for so many people who are either not in the same part of our own society or are living in other parts of the world. This is a real issue, um, of course, that for the council here, we are always trying to work out how do we reach the people who are not being reached. Part of the frustration that we're having with U equals U and getting undetectable equals untransmittable out as a mainstream message in the US is that exactly to your point, I mean, it's all good and well me standing up on television or public speaking about it, but I am perceived by a large population of the United States as a white male of privilege. Now, yes, (laughs) I am white and I can walk out onto the street and not worry about being harassed 
purely because of my skin color, which is the most absurd thing. Um, but in the areas where HIV infection is on the rise in the States, that being African-American community, um, Hispanic communities, um, they don't listen, and nor should they. I don't speak their voice. And we, we are trying very hard to change that um, with different programs and different things coming online, something I'm working on called Plus Life, which launches next month, um, in, in bringing faces and voices that are familiar to everyone to speak about this because the way I communicate U equals U is interpreted great in this part but it completely goes over the heads elsewhere um, and this is where we really need to be focusing our resources as well you know I, I went on a television show last year in the States and I got quite a bit of flack for doing it because it was the host of it was quite a white Republican known Trump supporter sure. and so her audience is is very that Mm-hmm. And when people found out that I was doing it, they were saying, why would you go on her show? My God, they hate the gays. They, and I said, that's exactly why I'm going on her show. I don't need to sit down with my friend Don Lemon or Anderson Cooper because their audience gets it. They know about it. But those are the people, the other side of the spectrum, that need to see what it looks like because they're the ones that think that we're all still emaciated shitting ourselves, handcuffed to hospital beds with doctors and nurses in hazmat suits. Yeah. It's not 1987 anymore, Dorothy. Yeah, yeah. So the distance we've come is now kind of actually appearing in the mainstream in many ways. I mean, I'm really uh, blown away by the way the the impact of the epidemic it has been portrayed, for instance, in Pose. Yeah, fantastic um, show. What an amazing and uh, heartbreaking um, portrayal, but also the level of compassion and um, uh, community that is portrayed through the hardship. Yeah, um, I mean, Stephen Cannells, uh, who is the writer-producer on that show, along with Ryan Murphy, um, you know, and then people like Billy Porter and MJ Rodriguez. Uh, finally, we are seeing. Yeah, we're seeing HIV at its worst in in the during the the horror years. But it's being portrayed and it's being written and directed in such a fantastic way that it's showing the real human side of it. And I think people are. Uh, are, are realizing, in a, as you said, the compassion, yeah. uh, and also to see season two. And uh, I'm giving spoilers away now. Uh-huh. I, I haven't even seen it yet, but I'm friends with Billy and and Stephen. Uh, That's okay. We'll keep it secret. <laughs> where uh, you know, pray tell, played by Billy Porter, um, has a love scene with one of the other cast members. I won't say who it is. Yeah. Um, and we see two naked African-American men, HIV positive, have a love scene on television. And mm. and just to see that is quite remarkable in that it, it just shows the human side of it. And and I, th- I end up sending, I watch every episode, A, I cry every episode, and B, uh-huh. I end up sending Stephen a message going, you guys just do it every single week. Thank you. Thank you for not just showing the horror of HIV, which mm. is what a lot of documentaries and a lot of films and a lot of television shows have done. You're showing the other side of it at a time when it was at its worst. And I moderated a panel uh, back in April in Los Angeles about Hollywood and HIV. And one of the questions that was sort of put to, you know, there were directors and, and sort of Hollywood people there was, what can we do now? How do we do it now? And everyone on the panel 
quite a bit older than me, had stories about, you know, I remember this. And I said, look, I don't mean to take anything away. And What is remembered lives, and we must always remember, and we must never forget. I said, but can you please, as writers, as producers, as directors, can you please start telling the stories now? Mm. Because we keep telling, with the exception of Pose, we keep reliving the horror of mm. it. And if you keep putting the horror of it in front of people and in front of those ignorant people or the uneducated or, or the people who think it doesn't affect them because they're not gay. And it's not 1987. But we keep portraying 1987. Then guess what? We're, we're, we're just embellishing the fear and the stigma. I said, please start telling stories of young people, of trans, of real trans people. Not every trans person is a sex worker. Shock yeah. that that may be to the rest yeah. of the world. But can you start telling the stories, the modern stories? Yeah. And involving and including those storylines, whether it be in, in situation comedy or drama, mainstream, so that we start getting the mental picture that people living with HIV look just like you and me? Well, probably the most current story um, around at the moment, if it's, again, not too much of a spoiler, I think everybody who's interested has already seen Tales of the City. Yes. But um, the the story of Mouse in the new series of Tales of the City talking about some of the dilemmas of being in a positive-negative relationship uh, coming to his own terms with his past and coming to his own terms with what does undetectable actually mean for them uh, is beautifully portrayed. Yeah. Uh, and and I think it, str- it strikes a really big bell for most people. Well, yeah, and it comes, you know, people, you know, condom use is always an option for those who want to use it. But I think there are a lot of HIV-positive men, gay men, who again, have lived through the worst of it um, and not only suffer real genuine PTSD that they survived it, but, you know, the, the, the condom was their only link to any kind of quote-unquote normal life. Safety, sense Safety, of security. Yes, mm. and I think, as, as, as is portrayed in that new series of Tales in the City, Murray Bartlett's character Mouse does such a great job at, at sort of showing, you know, he has a much younger boyfriend who we can only presume is on prep based on the way that the show is portrayed. Um, and, you know, they want to be intimate with each other and without the use of condoms. But Murray has a real struggle in letting go of that, or Mouse does rather, sorry, um, because that's been his safety. Yeah. And it comes back to what I said earlier about that fear of when you're first diagnosed of uh, even if someone's back before you equals you said, well, I'm okay with it, whatever. That that fear that I could hurt you inadvertently, hurt you, somebody I love. Yeah. I don't need to have that fear anymore. It keeps on coming back to that basic human drive that we all want connection, we all want intimacy. Uh, we all, well, for the most part, we're looking for that person to be in our life, that that person who might share our lives with us. And and HIV for gay men has been the scary boogeyman in the corner. Yeah. Well, I said that in my original post. I'm just like you, just like everyone else. I just, I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want to be, you know, do well at my job. Yeah. Check it out. I'll share a little 
uh, thing from my partner who who uh, I, I, it took me a while to get my own head around what he said to me when early on when we first met that um, until prep came along he was petrified having sex mm-hmm. he's yeah. negative and uh, very charming moment when uh, he came out to me about being on prep when we were first dating and uh, and I was quiet on the other end of the phone because we lived in separate cities and I was quiet on the other end of the phone he said so is everything okay I've just told you you know I'm on prep I said well I've got something to tell you <laughs> uh, I also take a pill every day but I do it because I've I've got HIV and I'm undetectable and you could hear the, the ah in his voice and and uh he he then you know he shared with me as I said that that until prep came along, HIV was an actual physical entity there in the room whenever mm-hmm. he was in any kind of intimate situation or wanting to date somebody or anything, and uh, so that that echo of fear doesn't just hit positive people, but it's negative people too. Yeah, and, and certainly uh, with some of my closest friends in Los Angeles now, they they, they echo exactly what you just said. Mm. You know, the the fear, even the even when they were using condoms, yeah. the fear, the anxiety. I mean, it's just horrible. Nobody should have to feel that way for enjoying something that is perfectly natural. <laughs> one of the most natural things we do. Yeah. And yet there is a whole community and society that has lived in fear for being able to express themselves sexually, even though they've taken every known precaution under the sun. Yeah. That How horrible to have mm. to have that anxiety for doing what is one of the most natural things and why we were put on this earth to do. Yeah, yeah. I'll also share something else that came up last night, actually. Um, One of the people in the audience um, who's a positive woman, and her background is African, um, she she said to me afterwards, um, oh, I had a couple of things that I wanted to say or ask, but I just didn't feel confident to say. I'm like, oh, that's okay. I'll be, I'll be meeting I'll ask him tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> what <laughs> were they? <laughs> if you'll allow me to, you know, let me... It, sure. Have I have, do I have permission? Uh, I said to her, do, you, do I have permission to, to say? She said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that you said was that um, you aren't sure that your persona or your voice is... is necessarily welcome uh, uh, in communities that are not really your peers, you mm-hmm. know, your direct peers. And I think that there's some some value to that. But uh, there's that she said that, um, no, that she thinks that there's a great deal of value for well-known or for successful or healthy or um, people with um, the means to, to get their face out there in every kind of community. Um, and she shared that she recently went back to her home country in Africa. And while she was there, she also stopped by in her home community. And because she had a car, she would be driving people to the clinic mm-hmm. and doing this and that and this and that and helping lots of people with um, with you know getting access to their medications and things just while she was on holidays, mind you. And then when she shared with these other people that, uh, African women from her own community 
that she was also positive, they looked at her up and down and went, no, you're not positive. You couldn't possibly be. You've got a car. Mm -hmm. You've got money. You've Mm -hmm. got a lovely, look how healthy you are. And so actually breaking through that stigma, it's like everywhere you go, it's a new story with new barriers to get that message through. Yeah, and and that goes back to what you know the president of ABC Los Angeles said to me on the phone two days after I disclosed. I just don't see this as a news story, and and if she's eaten her words now. Yeah, <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's acknowledged up. that, and then she's great. But yeah, it, that just goes to show, doesn't mm. it? We just have so much work to do. But again, the more we talk about HIV, the more we say those three little letters and the Mm. symbol, the more people can not only, you know, but I do believe it's important to see versions of themselves or people they they see themselves in, um, which is why with with Plus Life that I'm launching next month in September, as I said, we've got a cast of fantastic people coming on board so that when we start our our programming, and it's all about just living life positively. It's turning positive into a plus, little play on words. where that people can connect and identify and, and see, just like the story you just told, yeah. those people in sub-Saharan Africa see her and they go, wow, look, it doesn't have to be this way, yeah. um, across the board. Mm. And so I guess that program is going to have a broad range of relatable people for different groups. Yeah? Yes, very much so, and I'm excited. I'm heading up to Sydney in about two hours, uh, and we're going to shoot a whole bunch of stuff that is obviously Australia-specific, but will be content for the programming great. which all comes out of the States. Great, great. You're in the communications business. Mm-hmm. Um, words matter. They do. I love the use of positive. I think it's it seems ridiculous to be using HIV positive, but it makes a big difference compared to the options, which are HIV what? Mm, or living HIV. with HIV. Living with HIV is completely different to, yeah. you know, infected by. Yes, know? of course. These words matter. Words do matter. We talk, I, you know, um, one of my favorites that I love bringing up is is when someone asks me if I'm clean. Look, listen, if there, uh, one of the simplest things you can do, uh, apart from you equals you, is change, get rid of the word clean out of your sexual quiz vocabulary Mm. Um, someone asks me if I'm clean my response immediately is squeaky I shower twice a day (laughs) Um, you know people don't realize and I and I pull people up on this in the states a lot and they and I go you you're asking someone if it implies that somehow they're dirty yeah or less than or and the number of people I put up and go my god I never even thought of it like that they you just don't think of it don't think of it so there are simple little things in our world that we can that we can change and clean being one of them. Yeah, and using or or embracing the language for ourselves as as people living with HIV, embracing things that are talking about our futures and talking about our lived experience rather than something that is a uh, some kind of a, a terrible thing that happened to us. Mm. I know that in my work in supporting people who have been newly diagnosed and helping them come to terms with their new diagnosis, I often share some of the gifts that have come to me. Or if it's not the right word, gifts, it's kind of like the the positive transformations or the positive insights that I've had in my life mm-hmm. 
that I now look back and go, well, that's really because I had an HIV diagnosis. Yeah. If that didn't happen, my life would have probably gone in a different direction. What's there for you? It's really just about being me and 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 being as truthful and as honest as I can and letting people see that. Um, you know, before we started this podcast, I said, ask me whatever you want. <laughs> and I mean it. I mean... And, and as you quoted what I, I posted in that original post, you know, <laughs> telling the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Mm. What a burden that is taken off your shoulders. Mm. So it's about just saying, take a look at this. Look, yeah. this is, look at me. Mm. I, I'm HIV positive. Mm. And I'm getting on with it. Yes, sure, I have my days, but everyone has their days. Mm-hmm. No matter whether you're HIV positive or not, you, you have your days. But for the most part, I'm up there living my life, and you can too. And if by me just being me um, allows somebody who's standing in the shadows, shaking, frightened, to maybe just put their little toe out into the sunshine just for a second. Yeah, just a bit. Uh, just a bit. And then you feel the warmth on that toe, and you go, well, maybe I can put the rest of my foot out slowly but surely then I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing Mm. Um, and that's sort of how I look at it Um, again not perfect far from it Mm -hmm. plenty of skeletons in this old closet Mm -hmm. but it it really is it really I I can't really put it into words which is great when you're doing a podcast which is all about words and listening (laughs) there's no other way to say it other than I am living my life and I just happen to be HIV positive. I think about a couple of things that uh, may have come from this little moment of courage slash recklessness on your behalf (laughs) that you mentioned that ABC Network has really embraced a few gay LGBT uh, kind of community broadcast Mm -hmm. events or, or programs and they've embraced um, some HIV-themed segments as well because they've got somebody who really can be the face of that. And so uh, that moment of whatever you want to call it, is it bravery, is it recklessness, is it just revelation? Honesty. Honesty has led to some big changes for you, for the network, probably a lot for some vulnerable people in the audience. That's a pretty powerful outcome. I guess so. I don't really get caught up in it. I think that's... uh, One can't. Mm. Um, That's the danger of the Hollywood curse. You, You start to sort of listen too much to what it is you've done. And again, look, I'm very flattered and it's very, very sweet when people say to me that I'm a role model to them or that thank you and 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 I don't take that lightly I I appreciate that but just as I disclosed there was no plan in this and there no. really is no plan in it now other than to keep talking for as long as I can about you equals you and about living your truth until people and I'm surprised you're not all sick of me yet <laughs> I mean I thought by now this would have worn off I'm sick of me but uh, no I don't I I, I don't really listen to that or or the the very sweet achievements that have been bestowed upon me and some of the honors over the past 18 months they're all great but i I don't really it sounds very hollywood i don't really get too caught up in it sure sure but i'm i'm grateful and i'm grateful that things look again if me being honest and being me is bringing about positive change then fantastic then i'm just going to keep doing it aren't i 
check it out. I want to just sort of double right back to the beginning of our conversation, and that's the uh, the AIDS memorial on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such an amazing group of stories and pictures in there. Um, I'm going to admit that I didn't know about it until uh, uh, knowing that I was going to meet you and doing some research and thought, wow, how did I miss this thing? Some of the things that are striking about it, of course, are people posting photos and, and telling stories about people who are the age that I was when I was diagnosed, And but for the fact that that was after 1996 for me, and so all of the benefits were there for me, mm-hmm. and I had a lot of prospect. I would have probably been in the same situation as these young men who died, and for no fault of their own. There's all of that loss and nostalgia, which is to be understood. That's what a memorial is. But there's something else about that memorial, and that's a whole piece about people embracing the future and embracing life, which I think is kind of the tone that you brought to your post. This is a new era of memorials, to mm. my mind. Um, are you engaged with other memorials or other kind of active um, groups like that? Yeah, the, well, there's uh, in Los Angeles, the AIDS Monument is uh, is underway, and hopefully they, they break ground on it, I think, later this year, um, which will become, a in the States, a nationally recognized monument physical place where you can go to. Yeah. Um, there are one or two. I know there's one in San Francisco, and I'm sure there's one in Washington, D.C. Um, but, you know, between West Hollywood and San Francisco, that's really where it all kind of kicked off. In fact, uh, a doctor in West Hollywood whose name now escapes me, but he's still around and he's a great man, um, was really the first person who took note of of this strange thing that was happening and submitted something into the medical journal about it. And he's still, he's actually part of this monument that's being that's being built. So I, I'm involved in that. But yeah, and, and I'm a big, as, as you've probably could tell by now, a big supporter of uh, the, the Instagram feed yeah. um, because it is fantastic. And again, you can go online and you can purchase these great t-shirts and things and the money does go to important things like HIV housing for aged um, people like that mm-hmm. um, and god it is good isn't it I really recommend if you haven't seen it mm. and you've got Instagram please go and check it out it's amazing. it is amazing you can kind of get sucked into that sort of you know when you go on YouTube and you watch one video and then five hours later because you've <laughs> the, the vortex <laughs> um, you can sort of be pulled into that as well because it's it's equal parts touching and, and emotional and I mean there's been plenty of times where I've had a good cry flipping through those because it, it also brings it back to the reality and to your point that you just said you look at pictures of these young men who were in their 20s or 30 when they died mm. and that through, as you said, no fault of their own, although I'm sure there are a lot of people who are out there go, what rubbish, it is their own fault, um, had their entire lives taken off them just as they were getting started yeah. because of this thing. And we need to make sure, like many monuments, that history doesn't repeat itself. There will be something else that comes along. There will be a new HIV. But we need to take moments in history like that and look at, especially around stigma mm-hmm. and how we've handled and managed that and make sure we don't do that again. Mm. You know, I mean, it's an interesting thing to sort of think, okay, what if we could wind the clock back to 1987 now? And, you know, hindsight's the wonderful thing, but yeah. 
that you know we, we we make mistakes that's life and that's progress but we learn and we must learn from mistakes and the mistakes that we made and how we treated people um, you know I where was it I read something about in in Sydney uh, at the height of the epidemic you know they would just burn the bodies they weren't, weren't allowed to touch them so no medical research was being done mm. it's just horrible to think mm. how this happened so mm. Um, we need to remember things that happened and we need uh, to look forward and, and look forward in a positive way um, because like it or not, this kind of thing unfortunately will come around again in another shape or form. But we have the ways and the means to make sure that we treat those who uh, fall victim to it differently. Yeah. Well, one of the great legacies, the positive legacies from the AIDS crisis is the AIDS organisations and the networks of organisations for community representation that all banded together, the, the sex workers, the mm-hmm. injecting drug users, the, the gay men, the, the um, sexual health workers, um, the medical researchers, all of them banding together and campaigning together with supportive government. Almost an accident of fate that we mm-hmm. had a doctor as the health minister in Australia at the time that created this amazing and long-lasting collaboration, which the council is an example of now. And it's one of the things that now benefits the broader LGBT community. And we hope or we intend that that's going to be the defence against anything like that that comes along again. Stigma, of course, takes many, many forms, and it's not just about disease. Sometimes it's about simply who you are. Exactly. Um, the stigma that, that gay men already lived with exacerbated yeah. by the disease and all of that. In Canberra, we also have this beautiful new um, memorial, which is the AIDS Garden of Remembrance, and it's up at the National Arboretum. And that was only inducted about uh, two years ago now, and that was the, the product of a grassroots group of older, positive people, um, some of the longest-term survivors in Australia who are living in Canberra. And that garden is only, you know, relatively new, lots of little tiny shrubs <laughs> and tiny new trees. It'll be a permanent monument, a permanent place of reflection for people who have lost people from HIV and AIDS or for people living with HIV who uh, want a place to go and reflect. The council was one of the sponsors of that space and and I I guess the challenge is to continue to make that relevant. It's on my mind because of what you said about the Instagram memorial and also my experience just last week when I was in San Francisco and went to the National AIDS Memorial Grove there. And at the event that I went to, a group of the trustees of the memorial spoke about what their mission is. And uh, and it was a really lovely moment right at the beginning of this big community event where they said, just think about somebody, anybody that you have lost for whatever reason or that you're missing and just hold them in your heart and and now open your eyes and look around and imagine that everybody else is thinking of somebody that they wish was here and now be here for each other mm. and have a wonderful day. Mm. That's what this is for. And it was very touching and it was a really beautiful day of celebration. We raised a lot of money to support the, the memorial as well. But 
Speaking about uh, this memorial as a living thing, a place where the sense of community that we're building right now is the antidote to what we've lost. Yes, absolutely. Mm. So on that note, um, let's see if perhaps the message of U equals U, the success of the medications that we have available for positive people right now, as well as those amazing medications that we have for PrEP, might bridge this gap in specifically in the gay community this gap or the divide in the uh, between positive and negative um i keep hearing really lovely stories about how that is breaking down i think we'll get there we're on our way i think so too and and thanks to all the fantastic work you guys do here at the council here in canberra and and you know the other organizations around australia i'm very proud when i live and work in america and talk about hiv to say that I'm Australian because we down here really are leading the charge, leading the world when it comes to HIV care, prevention and all of that. So congratulations to all that you guys do and thank you again so much for having me on on today. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for your time, Carl Schmidt. And uh, we hope to see you again back in Australia, not on a red carpet, uh, perhaps relaxing with a cocktail in your hand instead. Oh, can't wait. (laughs) Okay. All right, bye for now. Our special thanks to Greg McGuirk, Carl Schmidt, and to Gilead Sciences for bringing Carl Schmidt to us. Until next time, check it out. For more information, visit our website at aidsaction.org.au. Follow us on Facebook or become an AIDS Action Council member. You know you want to. LGBTIQ health, lifestyle, and community news. Check it out is brought to you by the AIDS Action Council. From Canberra. For everyone.